Hey guys, Ida here. Uh, yes, that Ida, no biggie. Uh, so we're still on this quest to help Murphy get that Electrum trade back up and running. Um, we've been to the mountains, been to the Dwarf City, and now we're underground and it's dank as hell. Uh, and we're being chased. Uh, pursue, uh, uh, look, we had the situation under control, it's fine. It was just a group of drow that were looking for us. That's all. Uh, after a little, like, standoff, I guess, they took Poet with them. Little does he know, I know what he's up to. Thanks, Murphy. Uh, they did leave Karen's little sister with us, though, because they'd captured her. She could really learn a little something from me, I reckon. Because I'm so stealthy. Anyway, so we climbed down a cliff and no one almost fell to their death. No need to go back and re-listen to that. Nothing happened. But at the bottom of the cliff, we finally found what we were looking for, which is great. Um, except some disgusting blobs with like a million gaping mouths jumped out of the water and tried to murder us. But at this point, monsters are zero challenge. Like we wrecked them in five minutes because we're awesome and really good fighters. Finally, a busted up Warforged emerged from the waterfall in front of us, and uh, that's that, I guess. Maybe he'll offer us a cup of tea and a rest. I could really use one right now. Everybody and welcome to the Terrible Adventures of the Janice and Breffitt's Parchment Company. My name is Penny D and I'll be your DM. And I don't have a player character, but my boy Murphy, his favorite food is a hoagie. So just like a real nice, like cooked meatball sandwich. Oh. Like, you know, got the drippy cheese. He loves it. You can't have food that's too hot for a fire, Janasi. So like he will torch that thing and then just like straight down there. Loves it. All right, my name's Liz, and I play Karen, the Dwarven Barbarian, with a strong mama instinct. And true to her roots as a mother, her favorite meal is a nice charcuterie board with Dwarven cheeses, fine meats, and a glass of red wine to go with it. Nice. And a nice evening in front of the fire with her husband, Barry. <laughs> but that's not a meal, but I guess maybe Barry's a meal. I don't know what you guys do behind closed doors. He is more than a snack. He is a full course meal. Oh! <laughs> Hi, I'm Poppy. I play Idafer the Tiefling Rogue, and Idafer really enjoys his mum's classic roast chicken and potatoes. It's just like a real nice warming meal, and his mum makes the best potatoes. <laughs> nice. Uh, he is such just a boy when it comes down to it, isn't he? He is, yeah. He's just a boy. Okay, my name is Stephanie, and I play Frankie the Human Artificer. And Frankie's favorite meal of food would be Symbian honey glazed ribs, which Frankie would like the ribs because it would get all of his face, and he could use his hands, and it's just a delicious, oh, delicious meal, which if you have Hero's Feast, the official Dungeons & Dragons cookbook, the recipe for that is on page 34. Thank you. Delicious. Also, did you say that you use your homunculus hands to help you eat ribs? That's amazing. Yes. Frankie's hands don't get dirty. But hands do. <laughs> 
Hi, I'm Nathan. I play Flynn the Halfling Bard, and Flynn's would be, and maybe mine too, so are just a really large chicken pot pie with a side of deep fried cheese that you could then break apart and then dip into the pie once you take the lid off. This oh my god, delicious. delicious. Oh my god. Wow. What's and this bad idea? Should we, should we go and get some? <laughs> See you guys later. We'll catch you on the flip side. We probably should play D and D though, since we're here, and we can go. We can go get deep fried cheese and charcuterie boards and roast chicken and honey glazed ribs and hoagies later. But right now we're gonna play some D and D. So, after, uh, you know, challenging battle against these, like, weird, mouthy blobs, a Warforged came out and collected you. Murphy said that you had an appointment, and that seemed good enough for the Warforged, so it turned around and walked back through the waterfall, and when you all walk through the waterfall after it, you can see that it is lifting a heavy, thick iron door, like, basically just lifting it up into the space above it, and even with only one arm, it manages to get this enormous slab above its head and rests it on its shoulder for you all to pass underneath. You feel a familiar tingle of stepping into a font, and you find yourselves in a small, circular, dwarf-made cave and living space. To the right, Several hive scoops are dug out of the wall, but only at ground level, and a few dwarves can be seen lying in cots or, you know, lounging around in their private spaces. At the far end of the circle is a small open plan kitchen, including a long table, and sitting at that table, wearing reading glasses and poring over papers, is a grizzled looking dwarf whom the Warforge moves to stand behind. The dwarf, a male with a graying copper beard and shrewd brown eyes, does not stand or move when the party approaches. I'm not sure what the hell you fools were doing at my front door, but go ahead and say what you've come to say before I decide whether or not we kill you. Ido goes forward and says, you're welcome. We got rid of those pests. You mean my security? Call them what you want, we killed them. Murphy steps forward and he's like, uh, hello, Mr. Diamondheart, sir. My name is Murphy McSall. I am the proprietor of a Ymir City business fronting for a magic smuggling operation called Murphy's Honest Goods. Uh, we corresponded a while back about creating a discreet import and trade of your goods within the city. The dwarf's eyes, like, narrow, and he slowly takes off his reading glasses. And you, warriors who dealt with my monsters, are you his men? Yeah. Yeah, and what? We are definitely business associates. On this uh, fraught and terrifying journey that Murphy would not have been able to make on his own, I assume, and she kind of, like, jabs Murphy in the ribs. The dwarf looks you all over and says, All right, then, let's make a deal. So I'm sure you know a little about my operation. Once upon a time, I was a diamond heart until I was declared unfit to mine, and then I began... Spelunking underground, hoping to die. And I found this place, this magical place where I could actually live, where I could truly live again. I recruited people with no hope, and I brought them here where they could live and work in peace. We recovered scrap here, and he sort of 
nods his head back towards the Warforge behind him. From a junk pile in Ymir City, patched him up best we could. And ever since then, we've been digging up Electromore, processing it, and sending it out into the world. But just so you know, Mr. McSoul, you are actually too late. I recently made a deal with a promising Ymir City distributor, and everything is already set up and signed for, but I also have a problem. If you could help me to solve my problem, perhaps I'll be inclined to cut you in. And Murphy's like, Murphy looks really disappointed um, that he got here too late, and he kind of slumps a little bit, and he's like, um, what kind of problem do you have, uh, Mr. Diamond Heart? And he, the, the dwarf still doesn't stand, and he looks across each of you, like he, his eyes rest on the four of you, doesn't really spend much time on Alakast, and then he says, We saw what you were able to do against my security, so our meeting seems fortuitous. It's pretty simple, really. I don't have access to the Grand Stone Cutter Caravan, so I have to make my own delivery routes to Ymir City. There are some local fauna blocking my best transportation solution. I want you to go to a specific cave not far from here and clear it. Kill everything and burn the nest. Do you think you can handle that? Oh, not only do I think we can handle that, I think that will be an excellent opportunity to make sure that your merchandise is up to snuff. We will be requiring a small amount of Electrum, of course, in order to clear this dangerous path, but we are more than willing to help you, says Karen. Roll a persuasion check. Oh. Hey, first roll of the day. That's a 19. Plus four, 23. I was just kind of standing there looking staunch, arms crossed, trying to look as tough as you can. I'm just going to do the same, stand next to Ida, be like, oh shit, I better also, also do that. Yeah. Two weedy teenagers. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Flynn asks, what kind of nest? That's a good question. Around here, there's a lot of drow presence, and with drow comes spiders. I'm not sure whether or not there are drow in this place. They're never far away, but I just need you to clear the space for me. It's blocking my path. So... Spiders, I guess. You can't take out just a little thing of spiders. Uh, he kind of looks at you and he puts his glasses back on and then he goes back to his papers and kind of like from like looking down at his papers, he's like, Renault, Chapper, suit up and take our guests to the problem cave. Two adult dwarves emerge from their scoops and you, you are really surprised to see, especially you, Karen, you're surprised to see that they're both missing limbs. The female, like the Warforged, has only one arm, and the male is missing both half of one of his legs from the knee down, and his bottom jaw is also gone. They both eye you up and down before opening lockers that kind of are outside of their spaces, and they emerge with these like mechanical-looking prosthetic limbs. They snap the prosthetics into place, and you can see the limbs begin to glow the telltale blue of Electrum from within, you know, not the entire limb, but like from within side of them. The woman cringes a little as the limb begins to flex and move its fingers. She seems to be in a little bit of pain, but she does approach you, seeming friendly. Karen, you do notice a bit of a sneer in your direction. I'm Renault. This is Chapper. He don't talk much. Stand here on the circle. Keep an eye on your hands. We ain't got spares. And she grins, sort of like waving her mechanical hand at you. 
Chapo grunts, but his artificial jaw does not move. Frankie is obsessed with these prosthetics. He can't help but to look. He's like, hey, do you need uh, you need a bit of oiling up there? And he pulls out his cute little travel-sized oiling can. And like, need a, need a top-up, mate? Renault looks over at Asus, who kind of just shrugs. You can roll investigation check if you want to check these things out. Yes. <laughs> Frankie's like, don't mind if I do. That is a 26. Yeah. These appear to be modified warforged appendages. The, the length and the build of it is very similar to what a warforged looks like underneath its plating. It looks pretty similar to Scrap, who is missing a lot of his placing, but there seems to be some form of the modification appears to be Electrum-based, because regular Warforged don't glow like this. There seems to be some kind of power source implanted inside, because this woman doesn't have a arcane core like a regular Warforged would. Wow. Do you have any other questions about them? Frankie has about 15,000 questions about them. Where, where did you get these parts? Who made these for you? Chapper pulls the lid. Like, are you all standing on the circle? Yeah. Yep. Chapper pulls the lever and the edges of the circle light up blue and it slowly begins to descend into the ground. And as you do descend, Renault carefully watches you for signs of interest or amazement and is, seems perfectly happy to talk to, to talk to Frankie about this. And she says, uh, oh, we'll see this. This is uh, from a dead warforged. Came to came to me mortified like this for mortal use by Asus's partner in Ymir City. I'm not really sure who that is or how these are made, but I'm just really glad to be able to work again. And this is what the dwarves have been missing out on all this time, isn't it? Amazing. Ah, uh, yeah, that's, that's right. I uh, I used to be a gem hunter, actually, but I lost my arm in a mining accident. Chopper here used to be a diamond heart like Asus. The operation uh, has dwarves from. With all the major families all injured, just like in the mines, uh, all either abandoned or left to die. And Asus found us and brought us here and put us back together. It's been, it's been wonderful to be able to dig again. Oh, well, I'm, I'm so pleased to hear that there's uh, still some dwarves out there who, uh, who want to fix, who want to fix other dwarves. My, my, my brother. Uh, lost his life in the mines. I used to be a gold seeker. I'm sorry to hear that, lovely. We do have a couple of gold seekers around. I don't think there's any in HQ right now, but we're just about to get to the refinery, so hang on a sec. And you're basically like just lowering slowly through the solid rock, and the tunnel is like perfectly carved to fit exactly the shape of this platform. Renault says, ah, yeah, not so many people get the chance to see this, but uh, here we go. And the tunnel opens out into another dwarf carved open space. This one lit and warmed by a flow of lava coming out of the far wall and running into basically straight into the machinery. This, lads and ladies, is the only Electrum refinery in the world. We use the same methods as the Stonecutter Forge, but since we're on top of a major font, we get a little help from the product itself. Not too shabby. 
and you can see other dwarves all fitted with the same mechanical limbs and gear using the lava to work the ore and then using a press to turn the ore into coins. The platform doesn't stop but Renault does jump off of it and like swipes couple of bags of finished product off the end of the line and as the platform and tosses you Karen the two bags. Ah oh, wonderful and how much electrum is in each bag? There is a total of 22 electrum so there's 11 in each of the bags. Lovely. Karen oh, would like yes. to look at Alicast and see how she is reacting. I'm glad you asked actually. Roll an insight check. I would love to roll an insight check on my little sister. That's a 17 plus 4, so a 21. So you know what it looks like when you are intentionally trying not to react to something, like if Barry's like giving you flowers and you're trying to pretend that you're not pleased with it. <laughs> and this is exactly what you see on Alicast. It looks like Christmas just came early for her, but she's doing her best to keep a straight face. She's specifically standing at the back of the group and not asking questions, but you can see from like the little fidgets and the little tells that you yourself actually have that she is like nuts excited to have seen what she just saw. <laughs> I, uh, uh, listen, uh, Asus runs a pretty tight ship, but uh, everyone's grateful to be useful again. So we work hard and we don't ask questions, but uh, I'll take you to the spot that we've been looking for. Eventually the platform stops, opening out into a more natural cave space. The glowing mosses and mushrooms appear to have been trampled in certain directions, but they still exist on the cave walls and most of the ceilings. This is kind of the first chance that you really get to see that like, this is a natural cave, but along the spaces where people walk, there's kind of little cleared paths. Any, any place that there's like frequent footsteps, the the flora kind of retreats. So Renault leaves Chapa on the metal platform and leads you off down one of the tunnels. Um, and despite her short dwarf legs, you find it a little difficult to keep up with her as she bustles down a well-traveled path. Almost immediately, the tingle of the font disappears. It seems like Asus's cave is built over its exact size, but from time to time, you do walk through smaller fonts, really beginning to recognize the tingly feeling on the back of your necks. Diamond Heart up there, or former Diamond Heart, I suppose. What's his deal? I don't, I don't really remember him in any kind of capacity when I lived at the Forge. What happened to him? You don't really talk about that too much. Listen, I... I've only been here for a little while. Asus offered me, uh, and uh, offered me my body back. He offered me work. He offered me purpose. But he don't really like to talk about himself all that much. So he just likes to sit at the table and do the paperwork and make the deals. And you might have to ask him. Maybe I'm not. I'm not super sure. I don't think he would like me talking about it. <laughs> I don't think he would like me talking about it either. How about we keep that between us? Hey, so um, you're a, you're a dwarf. You said you used to be a gold seeker. Which family do you belong to now? In response to this, Murphy starts like coughing and being like, <laughs> I mean, who cares, right? Like, it's not really that important. Let's just move on. Karen will say, Oh, well, I live in Yumir City now, so it doesn't really matter. It's not like uh, <laughs> it's not like there's any uh, digging dwarves in Yumir City. Ah, no, it's mostly the uh, mostly the uh, other families. Uh, that sort of come away from the forge. There's a few, few other types of dwarves out there, but uh, no offense, but I don't really consider you a real dwarf if you don't live in the forge. You don't know how to dig. You don't know how to be a dwarf. Anyway, here we go. 
This has been about maybe a 30 minute trip. Renault eventually leads you into a large high ceilinged cave. And it is the brightest and the most vibrant cave that you have yet seen. Every surface of the space, including everywhere on the ground, is almost blindingly full of glowing neon blues, greens, pinks, oranges. It's like aggressively growing back in this specific space. If you survive this, I'll shout you an ale back at base. Good luck. And with that, Renault leaves you all in the space, heading back the way she came, kind of rubbing the place uh, where her shoulder and the prosthetic limb meet each other. It's quite obvious where you're meant to go from here. While the chamber has many exits, one of them is a little different. The furthest one from you has these tall carved pillars leading into another tunnel. You swear you've seen something like this before, but not really sure where. Through that tunnel, you can feel warm air flowing and you can see a gentle orange glow coming from just past what you can see. Well, what's the plan, guys? Let's get these electrums doled out, shall we? I used my last bringing you back to life, Murphy. How are you feeling, by the way? Do you need to have a sit down? I wouldn't mind a bit of a rest, yeah. I mean, and he kind of like sort of leans back and just like lies down on this big what looked like a mossy rock but the entire thing is just like a mossy sponge like a really comfortable beanbag and he lies back and he's like oh yeah let's um we deal with this and we can go home that sounds fantastic let's just do that while murphy is having a big sleepy and everybody else is having a little sit down i would like to dole out the 22 electrum while she's dealing them out are these the standard kind of coin designs yeah these are the ones you're used to the ones that Alacast gave you are kind of more shaped like Smarties or Skittles, um, where these ones are much more proper gold coin shaped with the glyph etched onto the top, which is part of the pressing process. While you're handing out Electrum, you can see Alacast off in the corner, like frantically sketching. I ask Murphy and Alacast if they need any. What? I don't know how to do spells. What do you think I am? I'm a business owner and I've got like gadgets and like a bubble generator and so I don't need that stuff. I only am here to sell it to you. I'm actually a little I'm actually a little annoyed that you got those ones for free. <laughs> don't worry, we'll probably be using them all up very quickly. And Alacast doesn't want any? She kinda turns her nose up. You get the feeling that she's like, ooh no, I don't want this. Like I make my own. Mine are much better than the they're not, but she is she is very proud of her work. Oh go on, we've got one spare. And uh, you could always use a backup, or uh, I suppose, uh, and Karen kind of cranes her nose over to see the drawings, or as uh, inspiration, or branding. Fine. Uh, she takes the remaining one. So here you are, all taking a rest, Murphy having a little snooze, surrounded by the calm and the color of the cave, you all have a moment to breathe. And as you do, you are each struck by a powerful magical inspiration. To break the fourth wall for a second, there are new character abilities in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and we're going to use this beautiful neon glowing cave to add those to our character sheets. So I will let the party describe their, just quickly go over your new traits, and then from now on you'll be able to use them. As a barbarian, she gets two new optional class features. The first is a, it's called Primal Knowledge, which means she gains proficiency in one extra skill. So she is level six, so she's gaining a skill from 
third level, which is the original level for primal knowledge, and she will gain another one at tenth level, assuming she survives this fight. And I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose persuasion. The second one she gets is instinctive pounce. This is a rage upgrade. When she is raging, she can also move half of her speed. So that's just freely, she can move half of 35 feet as she rages. Ido, the rogue one, the level 3 rogue feature is called Steady Aim. As a bonus action, I can give myself advantage on my next attack roll on the current turn. I can only use it if I haven't moved, and after I use it, my speed is zero. Flynn, you've got a few, but I know they're not as active as those other ones. Did you want to talk about those at all? So there's one called Bardic Versatility. So as a fourth little bard feature, whenever I reach a class level that grants an ability score improvement, I can choose like one of the following. You can retrain your expertise, right? Or you can also retrain your cantrips, is that? Yep. And there's an ability called Magical Inspiration as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So this is the one I was most excited about. <laughs> if a creature has Bardic Inspiration die from you and casts a spell that restores to hit points or deals damage, the creature can roll that die and choose a target affected by the spell and add the number of rolled as a bonus to the hit points regained or damaged out. Oh yeah, that rocks. That's pretty cool. But if you choose to use it for the healing or damage, you then lose the bardic inspiration as soon as you use it. So. And Frankie, so the uh, artificer doesn't have a you know optional extra, but we developed one especially for you. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? We decided to give Hans a little bit of a boost. Now he gains the following uh, attack action. So he now shoots poison dart, uh, proficiency uh, to hit 30 feet reach one creature, the 1d4 plus intelligence piercing damage, and the target must succeed on a DC constitution saving throw or become poisoned for one hour. And you got to use your bonus action to command him to do that, right? In this cave, big spongy moss, lots of interesting colours, you know, these interesting pillars off to the end. It's really a peaceful, magical place. So while you rest here for just an hour, you're suddenly struck by inspiration. So Frankie, you, you know, open up Hans and you give him a little upgrade. Everybody else is suddenly feeling just like a little bit better than they were before. Not quite a level up, not quite that feeling you get when you level up, but still um, feel a little bit more powerful than you were on the way in. Does anybody want to roll hit dice to heal up, or are we good to go? Yep, I've already rolled mine. I used three of my dice to heal back up to full. You walk into the cave that is marked by the carved pillars, and the cave opens out into a far larger open space than you're used to down here underground. Roll perception checks, everybody. Karen got a 19. Flynn got an unnatural 22. Ido got an 18. Frankie got a natural one. Sick. <laughs> so for all of you, this chamber is well lit by a lava fall at the other end. A cascade of molten rock that slowly flows downwards and splits two ways to flow around a circular island in the center of the space. Your path leads down a stone ramp which bridges over the lava fall toward that island. Those of you, everyone except Frankie, 
The space also seems to be covered in a lot of like thread, which you would probably know from context to be spiderweb, kind of crisscrossing all over the place. And your heart sinks as you see the size of these things and realize that the spiders that are in here probably a little bit bigger than the ones that you saw earlier in the day. And Flynn, at the very back of the space, close to the lava fall and almost indistinguishable under the thick webbing that covers it is some kind of like tall structure like not quite a pyramid but like skinnier than a pyramid taller given its placement in the room it appears that the path that you're on appears to lead toward it there are no other exits to this cave so i like point and gesture i'm like there's a and i explain i explain that there's a structure over there and i'm like should i use mage hand to just wipe these webs away to better yours than mine uh hold on have you ever seen those like big thick ropes that they'll use at like the port to pull in a big ship like a regular a regular rope is like the length the thickness of a finger whether these ones are like the thickness of like the big part of your arm or even thicker than that like the big type <gasps> then let's just cast fireball into this <laughs> Well, what I was going to do instead of wasting a spell is I was just going to light a torch and press it to the webs and see if they'll burn. Do it. Well, at least I'm not sure about 5e rules, but at least in real life, spider webs are flammable. <laughs> just so make, I'm making context, the small island in the center of like that's surrounded by lava on both sides is more or less covered in spider webs everywhere. And then above the surface, like basically this big, big round chamber, there are spider webs just like crisscrossing everywhere across the, you know, from wall to wall, everywhere except where the lava is. I would like to re either reach up with the torch or get Frankie or Idafer, one of the tall boys, to reach up with the torch and light one of the ones that are kind of crisscrossing across with the torch and see how well it burns. The thread that is fairly close to you burns right through quite quickly and then, you know, lets itself go and just like falls off to the side, landing on other webs that are that are below it. Okay. I think everybody needs a torch. So you guys, uh, you look down into your bag, you pull out a torch, you hand it to Idafer, you light his torch. You pull down into your bag, you pick up a torch, you hand one to Murphy, you look down into your bag, you look up, you hand one to Frankie, you look down into your bag, you come back up, and Flynn is gone. Wait, what? <laughs> oh my god! Penny here. Big congrats from us to Liz for completing her very first edit for this week's episode. Hell yeah, Liz. I knew you could do it. I'm actually recording this episode's announcements from my parents' house, so here's my older brother to read the mid-card. Hey there, this is Penny's brother Mitch, here to do the mid-cards for this episode. I don't usually listen to podcasts, but uh, knowing Penny, it's probably going to be pretty good. So you guys have had one live stream for 2022. The show over the weekend, a beach episode, went really well. So thank you to everyone who made the time on Sunday to join JBPC for a nice summer afternoon by the seaside. Special thanks to Jules from NZ for playing the returning boss monster Ramesses Scammington the Mummy Lord. And to Liv Artisan for starring as the guest NPC Kevin Downer the Wizard. 
If you missed the show and you'd like to see it, the link has gone up on the Patreon and is available for anyone who makes any level of donation. Speaking of Patreon, a huge shout out to the current Factory Foreman tier supporters. James Courtright, Dusty at GamersADHD and Claire McDonald. Thank you guys so much for your support. You guys are absolute champions. And Penny wants you to all be her valentine. Thanks to all the JBPC awesome patrons. If you enjoy the show, please consider stopping by patreon.com slash jbpcpodcast and pledging a monthly donation. Penny is posting weekly exclusive content, so there's plenty of bang for your buck. Music credits, thanks to I Think I Can Help You for Gravity Variations, MK2 for Cold Step, Cooper Cannell for The Path Starts Here, Asher Falero for Boreal, Tex Me Records for Immortal, Diala for Spider Legs, Audio Hertz for World War Outer Space, Gunnar Olsen for Dub Zap, and Akash Gandhi for Cavalry. As always, the social medias are facebook.com slash Janderson Bradford's podcast and at JBPC podcast on Twitter. Penny loves hearing from all her fans. Episode 29, Hivewood Bound, part 7 should release on March 27. You guys will be on your own for that one. I won't be here, but I'm sure it's going to be great. All right, I'll hand you back to Penny and you guys can enjoy the show. Blend in a moment, you feel yourself completely restrained by this like thick white webbing and everyone you look up and you can see a giant bear-sized spider above you scuttling with a halfling-sized cocoon and it's scuttling off towards the main island in the center. Oh jeez, okay, nobody attack. Is it like kind of like over the lava? Yeah, more or less, but like within a few seconds, it's scuttled along the webbing and it is like heading down towards the island. Okay. Well, uh, uh, the only way forward is through. And <laughs> if everybody's got a torch, including Alacast and Murphy, Karen's going to slowly lead them down the path towards the elongator pyramid. Flynn, you can make a, a strength check to try and burst out of the webbing if you want to. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> I don't want to be stolen. I always get stolen. Did you notice that? You're just so little. <laughs> it's because you're very little. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're small and vulnerable. Of course, a spider would go for you first. That is true. And I'm super tasty. Side note, Frankie is panicking. Frankie is very much like Ron when uh, they're in the Forbidden Forest following the spiders. Yep, 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 no, Frankie's not enjoying this at all. He's like, do we really need Finn, like? <laughs> Idafa, keep, keep an eye on Frankie, will you? Make sure he's okay. Frankie, you can just stay here. No, no, that's not what I meant. Come on, we gotta get Flynn back. He's the best deal maker out of all of us. That makes him the most valuable. Let's go. Frankie, come here to the front. Hold my hand. <laughs> so I rolled a 12 for my strength check. Yeah, DC 12 actually is the required. You burst out of the webbing and you're not quite down yet. So you rip apart the webbing that is holding you and you fall not very far, like five feet onto a bunch more webbing because you are now down on the center island, which is like a big sort of like 60 foot circle that is like covered in webbing. 
so you guys are all running down? We're not we're not running. Karen is leading everybody very carefully. She is using her torch to burn away any webs in front of her. And she's getting Frankie to burn the taller ones. She's making Frankie do a job so he's not thinking about the spiders. Just thinking about the spiders, but yeah, he's he's gonna he's gonna do. He'll do the job. Um would I still have my torch like did I hold on to my torch? Yeah, you do, but it wouldn't be lit. Flynn, the spider that you escaped from is crawling towards you. The rest of you, as you um, make your way down onto off the ramp and onto the island, you hear it. This gross, squishy, squelchy noise and the clickety-clack of spindly legs. As several of these giant spiders, each the size of a bear, reveal themselves and begin to crawl from each direction towards your group. And to make matters worse, what climbs out of some kind of cocoon near Flynn is some kind of horrid combination of person and spider. It has only two arms and two legs and a scary looking spider face. And it stands about as tall as a human. Roll nature checks, please. Karen got an 11 for nature. Frankie got a 21. Nice! Flynn got an unnatural 20. Oh, I got three. Frankie, you're pretty scared of spiders because when you are a child, your parents, your dad, would tell you stories of ettercaps, humanoid spider monsters that herd enormous spiders like a creepy shepherd. The stories are all about how they kidnap naughty children and feed them to their flocks, and you're starting to feel like one of those children right about now. Okay, I want everybody to go ahead and roll for initiative. Woo! Okay, we're going to do initiative. Did anyone get over 20? 24. I rolled a net 20. <laughs> Murphy got a 20 this time. Did anyone get above 15? No. Did anyone get above 10? Artifact got 13. The spiders got a 9. Did anyone get above 9? Nope. Did, it, uh, did anyone get above 5? Nope. Okay, Alicast got 6. Okay, what did you, what did you two get? Karen got a 2. The uh, cap also got a 2. Frankie, did you get a natural 1? Yes. frankie having rolled a natural one you've stood in a especially sticky pile of webs for your first round you're going to have movement speed of zero (laughs) there there is difficult terrain so everyone is going to have their movement halved unless they can clear the webbing is that clear yes all right, time for a combat. There are four giant spiders and one eater cap. So the eater cap is at 12 o'clock. Four giant spiders are at three, five, seven, and nine o'clock with everybody else in the center. Which one is Flynnvar the closest to? Flynnvar is in between the eater cap and the one that's at three o'clock. Flynn, you are first. Okay. I wanted to cast Fireball, but we're not in the right position to not kill everybody. <laughs> You could probably catch the Eater Cap and one of the spiders within a fireball. I'll still do it. Okay, you're gonna cast Fireball. Okay, so they need to make a dex table So cool, I'll do the Eater Cap first. 10, and the one spider that you're catching, 14. Okay, 21. Cool, that is Spider 4 and the Eater Cap both take 21 damage. They didn't like that. Surprisingly, they weren't big fans of that. One of the spiders, and by the way, you have cleared a 30-foot radius sphere of webs. So there is one space of the island now. Everywhere that your fireball hit, there's a 30-foot circle with no webs. 
Murphy's gonna like, he's gonna look down at his hand and in one hand he's got the crossbow and in the other hand he's got the glass sphere that puts him in a safe bubble. Oh man, I don't know, oh fine. And then he's gonna shoot the crossbow at the same spider that, that got hit by the fireball. Fortunately he does miss. Idafa, you're up. Alright, I'm gonna go for the edit cap because I think it's particularly disgusting. I am going to use my dagger for this one. I'm also gonna use that steady aim. So I won't get any movement, but that's okay. I get sneak attack. Oh dear, I don't hit it. What'd you roll? I got a seven. But you get advantage because you gave yourself advantage. Oh my god, I totally forgot that. Yeah, that that's part of it. It's not just the sneak attack. Okay, thank God. Eleven. Yeah, sorry, still miss. Damn it. Okay, that is just really sad. <laughs> Looks a bit. Because it's got the, the tumby, it looks a bit slower than it is, but it's able to scuttle around using the webs to get itself out of the way of your knife. The four spiders are up next. The one that webbed up Flynn needs to recharge its web, which it does not do. So, the other three spiders, which are two, three, and four, are each going to web up one of you, or each going to attempt to web up one of you. Spider number two, which is the one that is at five o'clock on the clock, gonna aim for Karen and it's going to get nine so no nine does not work the next one is going to aim for Alacast which is the seven o'clock one and it's going to get eight which doesn't quite do it and the third one is going to go for gonna go for Idafa which is seven to hit they they rolled like a two a three and a four for their webs so not great what a wasted turn spiders Next up is Alakast. Alakast is going to run towards, basically clap one of her, going to use the, the Asus Electrum and she's going to cast Magic Missile at first level. 1d4 plus 1 force damage on spider number 3. 3 force damage on spider 3. Karen, you're up. Alright, Karen is going to rage. She loses an Electrum piece as it kind of sinks into her skin and her eyes flash that telltale blue as she uses the bonus action to run 10 feet and then using my movement to move another 10 feet towards it which is almost all of my speed but i can get there thanks to my instinctive pounce and as she runs temperate great axe is summoned because it's a two-handed great axe she has to drop the lit torch on the ground as she as she summons it so if that does anything to the webs i'll let you decide oh, it does burn away whatever whatever it touches but it's not enough to like it would be enough to put one foot in if it wasn't full of fire sure um and i'm going to recklessly attack the etta camp so giving myself advantage that is does a 12 hit a 12 doesn't hit sorry oh, 12 doesn't hit well, I'm right up next to the Etta Cap now. You have two attacks. I have two attacks. I can do that again. Okay, Karen takes another swing at it. That is an 18 to hit. 18 does hit. Okay, she is going to use the Temperate Great Act, which is 1d12. That is a 11 slashing damage. It screeches like a weird spider thing as you sink the axe into it. Didn't really enjoy that. Next up is the Etta Cap's turn. And it is going to have advantage on its attacks because you used Reckless Attack. I did, I did, I did. So it's going to do multi-attack. It's going to make two attacks, one with its bite and one with its claws. So let's see if we can get you. Did 17 hit you? Yeah. 
nine piercing damage and halved because you are raging. So that's four damage. Can you please make a DC 11 con saving throw? That's a six plus six, that's a 12. You made that, and then it's going to do a claw attack, which again has advantage. 19. That also hits. Which is going to be 2d4 plus two slashing damage. Nine slashing damage, halved again because you are raging. Lovely, another four. Oh man, you guys are so tough. My big boss fight's not doing very well at all. Oh my god, no. <laughs> oh no, oh no, Penny, Penny definitely doesn't have anything up her sleeve for this one. Yeah, no, this feels like a threat. <laughs> Frankie. Frankie is going to be like, haha, I'm just going to pretend to struggle, but in reality, I'm going to fire a firebolt at one of the spiders. So you are in the center. All of them are equal distance from you. The Edder Cap has taken two big hits. The spider behind you has taken a small hit from Alakast, and the one that's like northwest from you has taken a big hit from Fireball. I'm going to go for the northwest one and try and hit it with a firebolt. 16? 16 hits? Yes. 12 fire damage altogether. So you shoot a hole right through this bear-shaped spider, and it is dead. Cool, well done. Taking control of his fears. That's right. Spiders aren't that scary if you can shoot fire. Yeah, exactly. I think you're scarier than a spider, Frankie. Flynn, you're up. So does the spider-humanoid thing have ears? The Edder Cap? It doesn't say anything on the sheet about it not having ears, but also if I look at the picture of it, it doesn't really... It's got little holes. It's got little holes just above its eyes. I would say those are also eyes. Oh. Is it mechanically deaf? Okay, I'll tell you what. I don't have a good answer for this, so roll me a nature check, and if you can get above 15, then it has ears. Oh my god, does meat beat? Does meat beat? Meat does beat. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna cast Shatter. Is there another spider close to that? Karen's right next to it. I can just cast it in front of Karen. Flynn is going to cast Shatter. Constitution saving throw. 14. Nope, 17 damage. How do you want to kill it? Yay. Oh my gosh. Um, casting Shatter, I'm focusing it on its head, and so it feels the piercing sound and vibrations through its body, and its head just explodes. It makes an inhuman screech, and then its head explodes, covering Karen in a little bit of spider person goop. Oh, jeez Louise. It's dead. But before you can celebrate, you hear a chanting voice. And those of you who can understand Elvish can pick up about half of it. I want everyone to make a dexterity saving throw, please. Ooh. Oh no, not dex. Idafa got 13. 13 fails. Karen got a 5. You fail. I know. Frankie got an 8. Fail. <laughs> Flynn got uh, 18. Pass. Murphy got 11. He fails. Alcast got a 19 she passes. That's really cool. That's really cool. I really like that. That's neat. Yeah, I know you too. So everyone who failed is now surrounded by like neon glowing spores, kind of like those from the underground flora. You are all affected by fairy fire. Oh my god. Oh god. Everybody make a perception check. Idafa got a 14. Karen got a 23. Flynn got 14. Frankie got a natural 20. Yay! All of you. The voice that you can hear bounces off all the walls, but it is coming from behind the structure at the head of the room. You turn towards it as long, spindly legs begin to grasp the outside of the structure, climbing it as a terrifying creature emerges over the top. The bottom half of its body and the legs of it are that of a spider. 
the top half of it a terrifying warped visage of a drow warrior. The leather and bone armor somehow fused with its purple skin, its long white hair matted and filthy. This half drow, half spider creature cackles maniacally with raw sizzling magic in its hands and those of you who can understand elvish hear it say mother i have a new tribute for you would karen having grown up kind of in the mines listening to fairy tales etc etc know what this is no you know that drow and spiders kind of go together but like this is not something that you have seen or heard of before this is new Okay. The Drider is going to take its attack next. Can I just get a check? Who is affected by Fairy Fire? Karen is. is. Okay, the Drider is going to take its turn next. It is going to do a multi-attack with three longbow attacks. And it's going to go for the ones of you who are affected by Fairy Fire. So, first one, Karen. 18 plus 6, 24. I mean, yeah, the hits! 11 piercing damage, which is halved because you are... Raging. Plus 1d8 poison damage, which is also halved because you're a dwarf. Mm-hmm. One poison damage. Frankie, longbow. <coughs> Does 14 hit you? Meat speed. Eight piercing damage? Oh hell. And two poison damage. Idafa also taking a longbow hit. 14 plus 6, dirty 20. Ugh, okay, yeah. Man, it's lucky this came along, otherwise you guys would have beaten this boss too easily. Oh my god. Five piercing damage and Four poison damage, Idafa. I can use my reaction to half the damage? Yes. So yeah, you can have that damage if you want to. Go ahead and round it down to four damage. Cool, thank you. So that's the Drider's turn. It's basically sitting on top of the webbed structure and just shooting arrows at you all. Next up is Murphy. He's going to be like, oh, okay, that didn't work out for me super good last time. And he's going to, he's going to activate his bubble. He is now inside of a semi-transparent bubble called Otaluke's Resilient Sphere, which you can actually use as cover. Next up is Idafa. There are three spiders remaining in one drider. I will, all right, now I'll just throw my dagger at the drider. Okay, cool. Yep, roll me an attack roll. 11. Miss. Damn it. All right, I'm going to go hide behind Murphy. Spiders are next. They, their three remaining spiders are going to roll to recharge their web attack. Two of them do, and one of them does not do. One of them is going to try and web up Flynn again. Two plus five, I don't think is going to do it. The remaining one is going to try and web up Alakast, which 12 plus five, it does manage to do that. So Alakast is now restrained in webs. And the third spider is going to scuttle forward and try and bite Frankie. Oh no! I think that might have got you, bud. 18 plus 5, 23 to hit. Yeah, yeah, maybe, I guess. That is only uh, 1 plus 3, 4 piercing damage, and you have to make a DC 11 constitution saving throw. Oh, hell. I got a 10. Oh, it's 2d8 poison damage, but they rolled really badly, so another 3 poison damage. Oh, hell. Breaking up, you want to good, guys. Alakast is next. She's going to try and roll a strength throw to get herself out of the webs. She does do that, so she's going to use her action to break out of the webbing. And the spider who used its turn to web her up looks disappointed, if a spider can look disappointed. <laughs> Karen, you're up. Okay, so I'm just doing some quick math, and I can absolutely do it. God, I'm so, I'm so good at what I do. I'm so good at what I do. Okay, Karen is going to... <laughs> one of her totems is the tiger, because she's a tiger mama. She's going to run 10 feet 
towards spider number one, which will cost her 20 feet of movement. Now she is 10 feet away from, from spider number one. Now, as someone who does not have enough movement to move 10 feet in difficult movement, instead of doing that, she's going to jump 15 feet because her tiger totem allows her to jump 10 foot further while raging. Plus, her strength modifier, five, is an extra five feet, so she does a running jump. She runs for 10 feet, and then she does a running jump 15 feet through the air to come down, still raging on spider number one. She smashes down recklessly, gaining advantage with the temperate great axe. That is a 16 to hit. For a spider, 16 hits. Fantastic. She's going to use a bonus action to add 1d6 of fire damage to her 1d12 plus 5 of splashing damage. The Temperance Great Axe kind of burns through the air with a blue fire. So that is 10 slashing damage and 3 fire damage. And then she's going to attack one more time as she kind of brings it down and then she pulls the Great Axe out of the bleeding spider and goes in for a slash. That's a 18 plus 5 to hit, and that's an extra stick slashing damage for Karen, please. Nice, that spot did not enjoy that. <laughs> Next up is Frankie. Okay, so Frankie doesn't feel too good. With, is he still like stuck in that spot? No, you, the, the, the turn that you were stuck is now done, so you now have your regular movement. Okay. Frankie is going to... You know, he's just going to try and shoot his way out of it with another firebolt at the spider that bit me. Okay, cool. I'm assuming a natural one doesn't hit. Yeah, no, it doesn't hit. It actually... Hang on, I'm going to roll and see who you do hit. Frankie fires wildly as he gets bit by a spider, which he's very afraid of. <laughs> yes. Oops, sorry, guys. You hit Idafo. No! How much damage? He has resistance to fire damage. Probably the best person you could have hit. That's true. That's fair. Other than the, you know, the spider. <laughs> <laughs> Eight damage. So have that. Idafo takes four fire damage. Sweet. That's okay. I'm just like, Frankie, what the hell? The poison's got me all messed up. Yeah, it do. It do, buddy. You be like that sometimes. Well, if you like that, let's see how you handle this. And he like whips out. He's like, you know that little puck on the inside of the jacket? Hands pops out. It's like, eh! I'm like, yeah, get him hands. Hands pops out, turns around, bends over, and attempts to shoot poison dart the spider. Ooh! I just rolled a natural 20 for him! Hell yeah! Oh my god! Yay! Yay! That's 10 damage! Nice! And what is the saving throw for the spider uh, against the poison dart? 11. It failed, so it rolled a 9, so that spider is now poisoned. Wow, nice. Nice work! So that spider now has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. Yeah! But next up is Flynn. I want to move toward the drow, so I'm within 30 feet range. You need to move 10 feet forwards, which will cost you 20 feet of movement. Yep, and then I'm going to cast Tasha's Hideous Laughter at the drow. The target must succeed a wisdom saving throw. There's a natural 20. <laughs> I'm really sorry. You are pleased. 
You are smiling, you're pleased to punch, you're not sorry at all. No, I'm not. Uh, is that your turn? Do you have any bonus actions you'd like to make? I would like to use my half-end ability to hide and just, like, make myself small. Okay, so you're going to use your bonus action to hide? Yeah. Next up is going to be the Dryder. So the first one it's going to go for is Karen. Hey, roll a natural one and then a natural 20. Cool. So hit me. 13. Plus 2d8 poison damage. Halved. 15. Halved. 7. Uh-huh. Second attack. Going to be another longbow attack against Alakast. 13. Uh, does not hit Alakast. And the remaining one's going to go for... I guess it's going to go for Frankie. Because everyone else is either hidden or already had a hit. Oh, God. 14. Does 14 hit you, Frankie? Yes, it beats it. 7 piercing damage and 2 poison damage. Ah, Frankie is doing not good. <laughs> Murphy is going to... Murphy's next. He's going to stay in the bubble. He sort of like tries to run inside of it to move it, but it's too difficult within the spider web, so he's just going to stay put. <laughs> Idafe, you're up. All right, so I'm going to dismiss my dagger and I'm going to summon Conman's backup. And I have rolled a... What is that? 23 to hit? I'm aiming for the spider that attacked Frankie. 23 does hit. 10 damage sneak attack plus 7 damage. So 17 damage in total. Damn, how do you want to kill the spider? I'd like to do a real like classic fencing like and like kind of hack it up artfully. Very nice. Frankie, the spider that's been up in your face is suddenly stabbed several times and starts leaking spider fluid, but it is now dead. Yay! Yay! And then I do like a bow for Frankie. Next up is the remaining spiders. One of them is close to Karen and one of them is close to Alakast. I'm going to roll to recharge their webs, which one of them does. The one that's closest to Karen does. So that's going to try and web Karen. 15 plus 5, dirty 20. Uh, yeah. You are now restrained by webbing. The remaining spider is going to do a bite against Alakast, which is 9 plus 5, which is meets beats. So that does hit. So it's going to do, it's going to be 6 piercing damage on Alakast. So she's going to take half two poison damage. Next up is Alakast. And Alakast is like, oh, Karen, this is so much fun. And she's going to use a spell. So she's going to clap her hands together uh, over an electron piece of her own. And she's going to come out, them go, and she's holding a chromatic orb that is flavored with fire. She is going to launch the chromatic orb at the drow. 21, so that does hit the drow. The drow is going to take 3d8 fire damage. Wow. Nice. 17 fire damage on the drow. Two things happen. The drow is going to have to make a concentration check to see if it can maintain fairy fire. It does do. But another thing happens. The fire that hit the drow also begins to burn away the webbing that is on top of the structure. And as the webbing on the structure begins to burn away, you recognize something that you have seen before. First of all, you recognize more stone pillars, like a, like a stone pillar frame, that as it burns down more, you see that it is framing, unblemished by either fire or webs, a plain looking white wooden door.
looks like they're gone. Poor bastards. I doubt we'll ever see them again. Renault here, coming at you from Asus's Electrum Compound. Thanks for listening to the show, and if there's one piece of advice I have for you, don't give up. Your own salvage Warforged arm might be just around the corner. <laughs>